Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 98. Josh is feeling a little under the weather this week, so it's just gonna be me this week. Sorry? I don't I don't know. Uh, but thankfully, we still have a lot of stuff to cover in his absence. Josh, we wish you a speedy recovery, and we hope to see you back next week. Uh, just a friendly reminder that this is episode 98. Episode 100 will be our first ever live episode. We're just two weeks away from going live. So follow us on Facebook at Uncharted Media for all the latest. We'll be posting a whole bunch leading up to that live event. And then um, every week from then on out, the Uncharted Media Podcast will be airing live when we can, and then it'll still be airing, you can still catch us on whatever podcast app you're listening to us on, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever else, you can catch us the following day uh, when we re-upload it to all the main channels. Uh, with all that down and out of the way, let's get into some what we watching before we get into some news. So, um, I was a bit busy this week, Heather and I had a trip. But it was a good trip, fun time had by all, and we were safe for the most part. Um, we're as safe as we can be in the current climate. We took a road trip for a wedding. Good time. Um, but that didn't leave a whole lot of time to watch stuff. However, because it's me, I still found time to watch the important stuff. And by that, I mean Bill and Ted. So I have been excited for Bill and Ted Face the Music for a while. Um... And my connection with Bill and Ted is, I don't really know how to describe it. Odd, I think. Um, because when I watched the first one, I didn't really get the hype initially. Um, I think it just caught at the wrong time. Um, but it's kind of, Bill and Ted kind of matters to me for the pure and simple reason that it, I kind of lump it into the, I. it's horror adjacent to me for reasons because um halloween horror nights for a lot of years had bill and ted as like their show and so i kind of associate bill and ted with horror nights and if you've listened to the podcast for any length of time you know i live and breathe by universal's halloween horror nights and i'm still heartbroken that it's not here so having bill and ted face the music this year kind of gave me at least a little bit of hhn happiness but also bill and ted are the most happy and optimistic idiots in movie history and if anybody needs hopeful optimistic idiots it's us in 2020 so like maybe just maybe bill and ted can be the hope that we all need this year and i'll be honest bill and ted face the music is definitely that um i've i've come around i'm a fan of the horror of the bill and ted franchise as a whole i actually like bogus journey more than excellent adventure but i like all three and bill and ted face the music is exactly what 2020 needs it is not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination but it's the perfect movie for 2020 um of two completely wholeheartedly innocent good-natured guys trying to stop reality itself from crumbling apart with two fantastic daughters who really capture the essence of the original Bill and Ted characters from Excellent Adventure. Um, it was just a really good time had by all. It was just great to see Bill and Ted again. Um, the MVP for this movie, without dipping too much into spoilers, the MVP for me is Alex Winter. It's like he never left the role of um, Bill. He was just the exact same role. Keanu, we know what Keanu brings to the table. Keanu is one of the biggest names in Hollywood right now, but Alex Winter, he's kind of an MIA so to see him back 
in his own words, was most excellent, my dude, and totally not heinous. You brought it, my dude. It was so great to see the two of them again. It's like no time had passed. It was just Bill and Ted again. The movie's not perfect, but in the long line of sequels that have come back that have come out years after their original this has to be definitely one of the better ones and this is exactly the movie that this year so desperately needs because 2020 is rough and it just keeps getting worse and worse we'll talk about some really hard stuff later but i'm just really glad bill and ted face the music absolutely worth the wait um I was lucky enough to see it in a theater safely in an Alamo draft house um, in the Virginia area. I snuck away from our events for two hours with Heather. Um, we were very safe in the theater. We made sure it was okay. Um, but yeah, it was, it was nice to be back in the theater seeing, seeing new stuff. And looking at some of the reviews, I'm kind of glad we saw Bill and Ted and not New Mutants. But um, we'll burn that bridge when we get there. The other thing that I watched um, a few days ago was something called Class Action Park on HBO Max. So one of the things that Heather and I like to watch, among many other things on YouTube, um, is deep dives into theme park stuff. Since we're in the Florida area, we're kind of inundated with theme parks as is. But um, we saw a special on one of our YouTube channels that we watched called Defunctland about this place called Action Park, which is basically if a water park threw out the rule book and any form of safety violations were just thrown out the window as well. Um, so HBO Max has done their own take on this completely true place. Uh, actually exists. I remember my mom telling me that, yeah, she visited as a teenager and it was a lot of fun. But I'm looking at this going, how is this fun? This looks like a nightmare. Because literally, there is no rules. Like, it is probably the most dangerous theme park that has ever existed and it's so fascinating to watch. So, for those of you that have HBO Max, this documentary just dropped called Class Action Park. Absolutely check it out. It is... It's wild. I could not believe half the stuff that I saw. Um, but also, lastly, for what I've been watching lately, it's something that I've already seen, but I just want to keep hitting it over your head that you guys need to check it out. Cobra Kai Seasons 1 and 2 are now on Netflix. So, please, you have no excuse now. Go check it out. I know people like Josh. Well, Josh so far is the only one that I know that does not like Daniel LaRusso from The Karate Kid because he's not a good character. It doesn't matter. If you have any form of connection at all to Karate Kid, you will like Cobra Kai. It both improves and fixes some of the lore from the original Karate Kids. Of It was clearly made by passionate fans, and it's awesome for that. Um, so... We're going to get into some news, and we're going to try and tackle the really big, tough one right off the bat. And it's the thing that just hit all of us hard and blindsided us out of nowhere. And that's that Black Panther actor Chadwick Boseman has unfortunately passed away at the age of just 43 from colon cancer. I was stunned and shocked when I saw this just I had to double triple quadruple check that that it was true just because I didn't know that he was sick I just seeing it on Twitter for the first time I was like that doesn't sound right like no come on he's still so young it was 
just shocked me to my core because, like I said, he was so young and we didn't even know he had colon cancer. Not only that, he apparently has had it for the past four years. So what that essentially means is his entire time he was in the MCU being Black Panther and really over the past few years establishing himself as one of the big actors on the rise. Like Black Panther was a breakout role for him. I was seeing him in other things that was catapulting him into the upper echelon of Hollywood stardom. And all of this was with colon cancer. It's just amazing to me that we never knew of, like, he continued to push himself, continued to be the bright, hopeful spot. Um, I think this hits hard for a lot of people. One, because of how sudden it comes out uh again he was just 43 i texted my mom that chadwick boseman the guy who played black panther had died and she was like who like not even believing that it was him because he was so young um i think that's part of the reason this stings so badly but also chadwick boseman was a guy that was becoming or was basically the guy that took the roles for a lot of well-known African-American figures in history, um, whether they were real or fictional. He played James Brown in Get On Up, a, one of the most iconic African-American performers of all time. He played Jackie Robinson in 42, the man that broke all kinds of sports barriers, and played Black Panther. Like, yes, that's a fictional character, but that character and what that movie specifically meant to so many people, I think this hurts more for a lot of people, more so than just another big-name actor has passed away, but this is someone that kind of personified an idea in Hollywood of this is what the next stage of actors can be, of bringing more groups to the table. Um, Look at what Black Panther did for the film world of having a predominantly African-American cast both in front of and behind the camera. And he's the face of that. Um, We could talk about what we think might happen with Black Panther, but that's, that's something we talk about down the line. Right now, it's just remembering what he was able to do in just the limited time that he had. This is rough, but I'm choosing not to be sad about this, but instead remember the good stuff that we had with Chadwick Boseman and remember that while we only got his performances for a little bit, he left such a big impact, and I don't think that can ever be duplicated. Um, Black Panther, like we've said, broke down a lot of big walls and kind of made people reassess what a superhero movie could be and... It matters. Black Panther matters. What Chadwick Boseman did matters. I worked at a boys and girls club, and a lot of them love the character of Black Panther or Miles Morales or characters that they can identify. And that all comes back to seeing yourself on the big screen. And for a lot of kids, Chadwick Boseman was the first time they saw someone like them on the big screen and I think that's so important for people to have growing up and it sucks because 
again, he meant so much to so many people. But, again, let's choose to think about the good stuff and continue to honor the legacy that he left and continue to try and... Let's not make his steps that he took forward in the business for others. Let's not go back on that. That's, I think that's, that's the best way I can put it. So, Chadwick, you will be missed. And you left a big legacy. And for that, we're really, really grateful for you. Now, in some lighter news, uh, we have... More COVID delays, unfortunately. Um, this time coming from the House of Paramount. And, again, wow, nothing good is coming for a while. Um, well, some of these projects, I don't know if they were going to be any good, but um, well, we will find out eventually, I think. And it's also, looking at this graphic and seeing some of the movies we're going to talk about, this seems like such an odd hodgepodge, but... Paramount has delayed several projects um, from 2021 to 2022 or vice. There's been multiple delays. Let's get over it. Let's go over it, shall we? So, Scream 5, the upcoming Scream movie that I have been excited for, I know Josh is not, um, has now been delayed. And there's a lot of red flags in this delay for me, but I'll cover that in a little bit. Um... Scream 5 will now be coming out January 14th, 2022, even though it was supposed to come out next year, but it hasn't started filming yet, so I'll, I'll go over my thoughts on that in a little bit. Um, Snake Eyes, the G.I. Joe spinoff movie, was supposed to come out at some point this year. It was, it's been done, it's in the can, but now, like Halloween Kills, it's been delayed a whole year. And will be coming out of October next year. October 22nd, 2021. So, about a year delay. Um, okay. Sure. The next Paranormal Activity movie, which it's still kind of up in the air if it's a sequel or a reboot. It is something. Has now been delayed till March 4th, 2022. And the new Clifford the Big Red Dog movie is now coming out November 5th, 2021. I really hope that this extra time means that the Clifford people can kind of go back to the drawing board and do what Sonic did so I won't post the images here if you really want to find them you can find them but a while ago there was some leaked concept art or some images of what Clifford looks like and he's kind of horrifying like a big red dog should be adorable. Not like a giant monster from Pacific Rim. He kind of freaked me out a little bit. I think a Clifford movie could work, but it's also many years too late, I think. Um, this is just an odd choice. I really do hope, though, that they kind of pull the Sonic thing and go, okay, maybe this design isn't working. We can go back to the drawing board now that we have a little bit more time on our hands to figure this out. Snake Eyes... It's whatever. I'm not super excited for this movie um, for a couple reasons. One, I didn't particularly care about either G.I. Joe movies. I thought they were pretty bad. But I'm also still kind of worried because one of the few things that was good in those G.I. Joe movies was Ray Park as Snake Eyes. And now it's not Ray Park. It's Henry Golding, who is a pretty decent looking guy. Which means 
he's probably not going to wear the mask a whole lot so they can market the crap out of his face. And I'm going, I don't really need to see Snake Eyes' face. Um, even though I'm not, I didn't grow up with G.I. Joe. It's a little bit before my time. Going, uh, Snake Eyes is cool when we don't know that much about him. Um, so let's not. So, not super big on the, this idea, but who knows? It could be good. Now, Scream 5 is the one that I'm a little bit nervous about. Um, I've been excited for the most part going, okay, this could be a fresh start. It's by the guys that did Ready or Not. While I'm not the biggest fan of that movie, I I like the potential that that movie had, and I trust the directors. However, my excitement just completely bottomed out when it said January 2022. One, because it just delayed it by a lot, but two... January is where movies go to die. This does not make me super confident. And be like, well, it's different. And now in COVID times that um, movies just kind of want to find their slot wherever. I'm like, I get that. Then swap them. Put Paranormal Activity in January and Friday and Scream. See, I'm getting mixed up with other horror franchises in March. That immediately just makes me more interested in Scream. It's just this sour taste in my mouth of... January is a bad time for movies. Typically, sure, you'll get some um, lucky movies every once in a while, like The Visit by Shyamalan, which didn't think that would be good, but it was. Um, but by and large, January is not a good time for movies to release, and then pushing it there instead of somewhere else. Like, Scream is a pretty prominent name. I would imagine you want to maximize your box office revenue if you can, and... January's not really where you go for high box office movies, so I don't really get the decision here. But maybe I'm wrong. I, this just seems like a really odd choice to me. I don't, I don't get it. Um, now something else horror related is the thing, which I'll be honest, I'm very late to the thing party. I didn't see it. Until a few months ago. I know I'm a bad horror fan. Um, but now the thing is seemingly getting rebooted with Blumhouse. However, there is a slight twist to this in that Blumhouse is working alongside the thing director, John Carpenter. Okay, I'm at least intrigued by the prospect of this. I'll say that. Um, sure. I don't think this movie needs to be remade. It was remade in 2011, and it wasn't particularly that great. However, that's a little bit more of a technicality, because that's technically a prequel, not so much a remake. It, It's, it's weird. But here's where I kind of go, maybe I'll give it a chance, for one of two reasons. One, John Carpenter is at least somewhat involved with this production so he has some say into what happens with it he had some say into 2018's halloween and that worked out pretty well um it's definitely one of the better halloween sequels i don't know if it's my favorite halloween sequel but it's it's up there it got halloween back to where it needed to be and that was i'm sure john carpenter had a say in that it wasn't all him but i'm sure he helped influence so maybe the thing can fall in that same path the other thing the other thing that I think is important to note is the thing itself, John Carpenter's The Thing, is already a remake. 
So it's not like this is completely unheard of that this is a franchise that's getting remade. The original thing can even be seen in John Carpenter's Halloween, years before he would make it. I've always think that's such a cool, odd, interesting foreshadowing there. It's like how in Christopher Nolan's first movie, there's a Batman sticker on the door um, years before he knew he was going to direct Batman. Um, so... I'm maybe it's just that I don't have like the diehard loyalty to the thing that some other people do, but I don't necessarily think this is the worst idea in the world, but it's not a good idea either. Um by and large, I got the hiccups. By and large, I trust Blumhouse. Um yes, they've got some stinkers every once in a while like a truth or dare. Um but by and large, I trust them. Everyone's going to have a bad day at the office, but by and large, when I see Blumhouse, I think, okay, this is at least probably going to be around a C-plus at worst movie. Yes, there's been some duds lately, Fantasy Islander, Truth or Dare, there's some others, but Blumhouse knows horror, so Jason Blum re-teaming with John Carpenter, maybe. I don't think this is the worst doom and gloom thing possible. It's not like, I think I saw somewhere that The Exorcist is getting remade. Now, that's a bad idea. The thing getting remade... Or at least revisiting that world, I don't necessarily think is the worst idea. Now, a world that we technically are revisiting is Mike Flanagan's Netflix world, as he is doing The Haunting of Bly Manor, which now has its release date for August 9th and a first trailer. So, I've been excited for this series for a while, primarily because Haunting of Hill House was like my favorite favorite show the year it came out because anything Mike Flanagan touches I am there in a heartbeat because that man knows horror and the way to my heart it is fantastic um I love the haunting of the house and I've been counting down for some form of announcement for this so to clarify this is not a sequel to haunting of hill house this is featuring some of the same actors um but it's existing in its own separate thing kind of think like american horror stories of um the actors more or less stay the same but the stories and the characters that they're playing are different um so now that we've got our first trailer i'm even more hyped so normally creepy dolls don't necessarily scare me really um i think it's overplayed and it's not scary it's it's a little doll however mike flanagan Made a doll creepy in this trailer when it sits up and going, oh, heck no, that's a nope, that's a nope, nope, nope. Because Mike Flanagan, he's got this, in his cinematography, he's got this stillness. And stillness in horror is terrifying. There's this stillness and this drawn out, um, really slow burn. But by the time you get to the scare, oh gosh, you're sweating nervously in anticipation. Uh, yeah, I know about that, guys. Um, but I'm so excited for this series, and I loved watching Haunting of Hill House because it was different than what I was expecting. I was expecting a scary series, and yes, it was, but it also was about a family struggling, and Mike Flanagan has openly stated that this season will be scarier than anything before, which, Mike Flanagan, good luck topping that seat, that jump scare, and I think it was either episode 7 or 8 in the car, Good lord, that's still the worst jump scare I've ever had in my entire life. Thanks for that. So, let's see if you can top it. And I'm just... I'm excited. Um, 
I'm really there's nothing Mike Flanagan can do to make me not interested in this series just because everything he's touched so far I'm at least interested in to gotta see it because this man knows horror and he's consistently reliable I like consistent directors and Mike Flanagan at least to me is consistent in quality and in scares and Haunting of Bly Manor just seems yes right the perfect show to be watching around spooky season which it now officially is we are in september people it is spooky season whether you like it or not and since it's spooky season it seems like disney wants to drag up some old properties and maybe they'll do it right this time so it seems like the rumor mill is churning once again that disney's thinking about doing a haunted mansion movie and i'm just scratching my head going wasn't that already in development because maybe i'm just crazy and i probably am so feel free to comment whatever um i could have sworn a few years ago there was rumors floating around that guillermo del toro was doing a haunted mansion movie starring ryan gosling now those rumors could just be that be rumors either that or disney and guillermo couldn't come to terms of like a happy medium because i'm sure guillermo wants it to be terrifying and disney's probably going yeah, we kind of want it to be in this ballpark. Um, I am so on board for this if they do it right. That's the thing. Um, also, it's been a hot minute since Disney's tried to convert one of their rides. Because for a while there, after the success of the first Pirates of the Caribbean, Disney was just like, if it's a ride, it needs to be a movie. Now, I know Tower of Terror was a movie before with Steve Gutenberg and Kristen Dunst. Um, but I kind of lumped that in with everything else. We have Pirates of the Caribbean, Country Bears, Bears. Um, we had the original Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy, which I liked as a kid. It really does not hold up. Um, I feel like there was another thing. I'm blanking on it. Um, this is another one that I, this is one of those properties. I was just like, can we get a good Haunted Mansion? Because having ridden Haunted Mansion so many times dozens of times it's one of my favorite disney rides it's just a classic but there's so much lore that this pack packed into that ride that i think would be perfect for a movie if disney just does it right this time um and i don't know maybe it's disney hasn't doesn't do it a whole lot and maybe they think it's too hard or something but i like i like all forms of horror or anything for halloween type movies but Disney lately hasn't really done a whole lot like family-friendly scares. Um, like I grew up on like Halloween Town or Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire. Um, I like those type of movies, even if they're like made for TV movies. I want Disney to start embracing more family-friendly scares. Like, might be a little intense for kids, but they could still watch it because that's how you foster the next generation of horror lovers you slowly integrate them scare them a little bit and see if they like being scared and then you can rope them in with other stuff the haunted mansion has a lot of potential there um now might be heretical here but i don't think you necessarily have to follow a specific thing from the ride like the gracie like they did in the original haunted mansion movie it's just like you have to follow the guy that hung himself before you get on the ride, you have to follow the ghost host. I'm like, you can have the ghost host in the movie, maybe as some form of a narrator, but I don't necessarily think you have to... There is 999 happy haunts in the Haunted Mansion. 
I'm sure there's hundreds that we have not even seen on the ride. You have free reign to pick your ghost story however you want. You don't have to solely rely on fan service like the original Haunted Mansion did. There's a lot of interesting potential in this for PG, maybe even a PG-13 scare. Like, scary stories to tell in the dark. Um, last year? Yeah, last year. It, guys, this has just been a long year. Everything blends together. I think scary stories to tell in the dark is a good kid, quote-unquote, kid-friendly horror movie that I think Haunted Mansion would be smart to learn from now. When Would Disney let them go that far in some horror aspects? I don't know if they would or not. Um, but I would like Haunted Mansion to be done right as a horror fan and as a Disney fan. I would like a good Haunted Mansion movie. And maybe this leads to a renaissance in Disney attractions getting rides. Um, because I think there are some interesting ideas out there. You laugh, but I think a Space Mountain movie could work. Or Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. That actually already has some story in there. I know we're getting a Jungle Cruise movie. If that movie ever comes out, it just feels like it's been in development forever. And now with COVID, everything's getting delayed. Um, yeah, I think this, hopefully this will open up a new avenues for Disney Park movie rides. Because I've always thought that was a good idea if you do it well. It's just, it's been hit or miss so far. And maybe, just maybe, it'll lead to Disney doing new and original rides again that aren't just based off movies and properties that they already own. Isn't that right, Bob Chapek? <laughs> Fire him, please. I, I will never let it go. I cannot stand Bob Chapek. He's going to drive Disney into the ground. But happy thoughts, happy thoughts. Haunted Mansion's going to be great. We're going to have more original ideas that aren't based off IPs that they own because they're creatively bankrupt. But... Let's move on to other horror-related properties, shall we? Like other franchises that I have no idea what I'm talking about, but we're going to talk about it anyway, like Resident Evil. Um, I feel like we talked about this recently, but maybe not. Um, Netflix, I'm going to guess off the back of the huge success that has been The Witcher and tossing a coin to it, um, Netflix has been trying to peruse the, I guess, uh, video game catalog to see what they can make into a show and it seems like they drew Resident Evil's name out of the hat as they're developing a live action series for Netflix okay here's why I think this could work and here's why I think it couldn't work couldn't work a lot of video game properties have been attempted to be adapted and they have not worked out too well don't get me wrong, I like Prince of Persia, but a lot of people don't. Witcher, good, big success. Awesome. Super Mario movies, eh. Tomb Raider, hit or miss. Um, I'm sure there's worse. World of Warcraft. Um, video game adaptations are very spotty. I'm going to choose to be optimistic here for a couple reasons. One, Netflix adapted The Witcher really, really well. And they made that a huge, successful series... And that's based off a of video game property. So Netflix has shown at least the potential for competency when it comes to adapting a source material. Two, Netflix does TV shows fairly well. Yes, there's some stinkers, but and in regards to TV shows, Netflix is pretty good. Um, movies, that's something else. Their movies are, at least their original stuff. Um, 
But TV shows, they do significantly better. And hearing that this is a show as opposed to a movie is much more reassuring. And also, Netflix's horror selection is pretty god-awful. But their horror series, again, coming back to Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor, they're pretty solid offerings. So maybe if they get back to the classic elements of Resident Evil and don't just rely on the action tropes that the games unfortunately have been um, up until recently, like um, I think it was Resident Evil 2 Remastered, that's pretty good. That That's back to the horror elements. If they stick to the horror elements, I think it could be good. I'm not going to pretend to be the biggest Resident Evil fan in the world, but it's got to be better than those movies, right? Which more or less have killed the franchise. Um, so I'm maybe it's just in my nature to try and be more optimistic than pessimistic, but I think this at least has a chance to be interesting. Um, whether it will or not is still up for debate, but I think at least the potential's there. But again, after that whole Avatar, very ugly public divorce, my confidence in Netflix isn't overly high, but I don't know. If you screw it up, I don't really care because it's Resident Evil. It's not like you're screwing up Uncharted or something like that. I mean, who are we kidding though? Uncharted's going to have its own chance to be screwed up next year. Thanks, Sony. You couldn't just give us what we wanted. I'm still optimistic that that's going to be good too, but I'm not like very confident that that's going to be good. I just, it's a fool's hope at this point. Well, I think our sponsor for this week will be Halloween candy. It's Halloween season. Halloween candy and those little pumpkin cookies because those are God's gift to the world at this time of year. It's fall, people. Start putting your Halloween decorations up. That's in order. So this is the first episode of the month, so you know what that means. Five good things. Now, we have something in the pipeline revolving around our movie that we're talking about today. But Josh and I are going to save that for the 100th episode. We can't give away all our secrets yet. Um, But we have something Fantastic Four related that we will be making an announcement about at the 100th episode. So, we thought for that, we should do five good things on the first Fantastic Four. Why not fan four stick from 2015, you say? Well, because I don't hate myself that much, and I just watched it about two or three years ago, and it's still too soon to rewatch it again. And I'd like you to get all the way up off my back about it, because I'm sure at some point we will cover that train wreck of a movie. It has been a lot of years since I have watched the 2005 Fantastic Four. I liked it as a kid, so I was curious to revisit it now with adult eyes and more film sense. This movie's not good, but it's also not bad. Like, I for sure will not put this in the category of worst comic book movie of all time. Um, there's actually quite a few good things about it. That being said, it's still not great either. Um, but maybe it's just because the last comic book movie we did for Five Good Things was Catwoman, and I made me want to just not want to see a cat ever again, and it was just painful to watch. This was at least breezy. Like, this movie, for all its faults, does not overstay its welcome. It's like an hour and 45 minutes, nice and breezy. Um, it's it's fine. It's not bad. Not great either. Um, still waiting on that good Fantastic Four movie. The sad thing is... Of all the Fantastic Four movies that we've gotten so far, is this one the best? Probably, unfortunately. 
Um, that being said, there are in fact five good things about Fantastic Four. Uh, at number five, and it'll be a trend for some of our entries, the casting is actually pretty decent for the most part, except for some glaring mistakes. Jessica Alba. Wow, I don't know what they were thinking with that one. Um, but for number five, I wanted to make sure, because I think he does a great job in it, that I make sure that I give this actor the credit that he deserves and pronounce his name correctly, because you know, he's clearly listening to this podcast, so he clear, clearly cares if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. But it is Yoan Griffin. Griffin? Griffin, I think. Yes, it's pronounced differently than it's spelled. It looks weird, but it's Yoan Griffin. And he is Mr. Fantastic in this movie with his weird name. He feels like Mr. Fantastic to me. He's really decent in this. I buy him as the really, really smart, nice guy that kind of gets a little distracted, like might not have the best social awareness of those things that are happening around him, like his interactions with the Invisible Woman, Jessica Alba, or just everything else. He's always kind of mission and study focused, which is kind of what I know Mr. Fantastic is. I think he nails the role. I do find it super bizarre. Um, And maybe it's in the comics, but I highly doubt it that... When they all get their magical powers, they're not actually magical, but whatever. Um, when they get their powers in space, like Johnny turns into the Human Torch, the uh, Michael Chiklis turns into the Thing. I was about to say the Rock. Same thing. Jessica Alba turns into whatever. I don't care. Um, he can stretch, but also his hair turns white, but only here. It's like the movie was just like, okay, we, he needs to have the gray hair over his ears. But um, we can't just give him that ahead of time. We're just going to say that that's a weird side effect of getting powers. I'm like, then why did no one else turn gray? This is just bizarre. There was no logic or rationale to why people got the powers that they did. But I thought Yoan was really good as Mr. Fantastic. Um, To the point that I think he's definitely one of the better things about this movie. Um, I don't think he's the best performance we'll get there but i really don't think he's that bad the casting as a whole isn't awful except for you know jessica alba and probably dr doom the guy from nip tuck it just, he doesn't feel like doom it actually feels like they just copy and pasted some of the notes from the first spider-man movie going uh can i copy off your ta- off your paper yeah sure but change some things up so it doesn't look like we're exactly copying them going a disgraced businessman who's kicked out of his own company and seeks revenge on the board that kicked him out. Yeah, that's that's Green Goblin, not Doctor Doom. Um, but getting back to Yoan, pretty good, even if he has to work with some less than fantastic special effects for his stretching limbs. So funny I say that, because by and large the CGI in this movie is terrible and is not anything to write home about. Except there's one element that consistently is actually really good for a 2005 movie with really bad CGI. And that's the CGI that they use on the Human Torch. Why this detail is so good? Don't know why. But whenever Johnny flames on, actually looks pretty good. Flame physics are pretty difficult. Um, I'm looking at it going, yeah, that looks like 
real fire. That looks pretty good. But the thing that as Heather and I are watching it going, that's a really small attention to detail, but they got it right every single time is whenever Johnny flames on, he's got the heat waves around the flame. So like when you look at fire directly underneath it or trying to see through the fire, it kind of makes the air around it distorted and hazy has that haze and distortion when Johnny does that scene that you all have seen from the trailer, like when he is flicking his fingers or whatever. Yes, the flame is up here, but in between the flame and his fingers, if you look, he's got that haze, like you just turned the um, burner on your stove. I was like, that's a really good attention to detail that is really easy to overlook, but they completely nailed that of this really paying attention to the fire aspects yes some of the cgi is bad especially mr fantastic stretching that looks real wonky but for some reason the entire special effects budget went to anything fire or human torch related and we'll get back to human torch stuff in a little bit um but my number three thing is stanley stanley is always a win no matter what is this his best cameo No, but time for a history lesson. It might be one of his more important roles. Why is that? It's not his first cameo, nor will it be his last, thankfully. But it is, is, however, the first time that Stan Lee cameos as a character that already exists in the comics. So in Fantastic Four, in the Fantastic Four comics, they actually have a mailman except not portrayed by Stan Lee, they have a mailman named Willie Lumpkin. And that character in this movie is played by Stan Lee, welcoming welcoming them back into the Baxter building. And a lot of the times in Marvel movies, Stan Lee is just playing Stan Lee or some random guy. Like in the X-Men movies, he was a hot dog vendor, a guy watering his flowers, yada, yada, yada. But the fact that Stan, who I know was so emotionally attached to Fantastic Four because... Without Fantastic Four, there is no Marvel, let's be honest. Um, The fact that I think it's cool that he wrote himself in this movie to be an actual guy from the comics and not just some random cameo. I'm trying to think if he ever played any pre-existing characters ever again. There were some rumors and some fan theories out there that he was actually a watcher in the MCU, but that was kind of disproven. However, Fantastic Four... He's actually playing comic book character, and that's pretty cool in my book. I think that's a really fun little little tip of the cap there. Um, like, Stan, we recognize what you did. You literally delivered the world Fantastic Four. I know, I know I'm reaching a little bit there, but I think that's pretty cool. Um, at number two, I have something that most people would probably have as their number one, but I don't care. I think Chris Evans is fantastic, and a lot of people point to him being the best thing about this movie, and he's certainly up there, but upon a rewatch, I don't know if I put him in the top spot, Um, but Chris Evans knows exactly what kind of movie he's in in this. Um, He's putting in all the effort? I can't tell if he's putting in all the effort or none of the effort, like just does not care or cares 100%. I can't tell if he's naturally being cool or he's just being that too cool for school. I kind of know what type of movie we're in for type of thing. Um, But he's a lot of fun in any of the scenes that he's in. 
I totally buy him as Johnny Storm, and I totally kind of really want to punch him in the face. But that works. Um, I feel like they could have portrayed him a bit younger because I always feel like there's an age gap between Johnny and Sue. In this one, they felt very similar in age. So the complete family dynamic wasn't wholly there. But Chris Evans is putting in his absolute best effort and... I'm happy to see that he got rewarded for that effort years down the road by being Captain America. And it's not lost on me that not one, but two actors in failed Fantastic Four movies that played the Human Torch got their shot of redemption in the MCU. You got Chris Evans playing Captain America, and then you have Michael B. Jordan in Fan Stick coming back as Killmonger and being a lot better the second time around. Um... As much as I like Chris Evans, and as much as I like the fire effects that they did for him in Human Torch, I still think the best thing about the Fantastic Four is Michael Chiklis as the thing. Rewatching this, you can tell he is so happy to be there, and he is giving everything he's got to this role, even with what I have to imagine is some of the most uncomfortable prosthetics and costume of all time. That thing costume doesn't look great. It, the foam bunches up several times, and it's clearly foam. It looks super awkward. But despite that, Michael Chiklis is giving everything he's got, and apparently he is a huge Fantastic Four fan and a huge Thing fan, which is why he was so ecstatic. He was, From what I've read, he was the only one that really knew anything about the Fantastic Four going into this movie. So you could tell he's just fanboying. And even if it's just the little subtle stuff of, I remember there's one scene where Reed is trying to explain to him, we can't just turn you back. We have to find a way to recreate the storm to give us our powers. Just the complete blank, vacant expression of trying to comprehend what you're saying, Reed, that goes across Michael Chiklis's face as the thing. I just found hysterical because even through all this makeup and prosthetic that he's got on, he's still able to con- convey this like deadpan humor that's wicked funny. But also, it just felt like the thing. Michael Chiklis is able to draw out this feeling of emotion and sadness from a script that frankly does not deserve it. He is putting in way more effort than the script deserves for this. He is game for anything in this movie. The more wacky antics of the scene, like when um, Human Torch pies him in the face or whatever, um, or the more serious moments when his um, fiance leaves him. Michael Chiklis is asked to do a lot in this movie, and he never fails. The costume may not necessarily be the best, but I think his performance is so good that it really shines through. And Honestly, I've been reading a lot of Fantastic Four comics lately. When I read them, I hear Michael Chiklis. Because it's just the version that I knew because I saw this movie as a kid. Seeing it now, he, he just feels like the thing. He's got this brash attitude, but will back up Reed whenever. But he's still lovable, but also doesn't feel like he's worthy of love anymore given his current situation, I could just rave about Michael Chiklis all day. I think had this been a better movie and maybe the effects budget been better, I think we would be having the conversation today of Michael Chiklis being one of the best comic book to film adaptations of a character of all time. 
if the movie worked a little better and if we had more movies. Because I really think he's giving 120% in this movie. For better or for worse, the movie may not be that great. Michael Chiklis pours everything he's got into this one performance as a thing. And I'm like, screw everybody else. Just give me the thing in a movie. And I'd still watch that because I thought he was so perfect for this. Well, what do you guys think? What are some of your like good thoughts that you have towards the Fantastic Four movie from 2005? Let us know in the comments below. We always like hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.